anybody know who that man is? What's that? Toscanini. This gal should, anybody, we got to give her a hand. I'm impressed. Toscanini, that's right. And I wouldn't have known who he was, um, except for a story that I read about him. And uh, it's actually said that in his day, uh, he was a household name. That he was one of the most famous musicians in the 19th century, in late 19th century and early 20th century. Uh, he was an incredible musician. In fact, here's what his brief bio says. Uh, his name was Arturo, Arturo Toscanini. Folks back home in Italy called him Arts. No, I'm just joking. Uh, anyway, one of the most achieved, acclaimed musicians of the 19th and 20th centuries. Born in 1867, died in 1957. And he was renowned for his brilliant intensity, his restless perfection, his phenomenal ear for orchestral detail, and his photographic memory. He is especially regarded as an authoritative interpreter of the works of Verde and Beethoven, Brahms and Wagner. And so that's who this man is. I don't think many of us know him today, but in his day, he was an achieved musician. And I remember hearing a story about him years ago. And in this story, uh, he was conducting a rehearsal. It was just an ordinary day, an ordinary rehearsal. And Toscanini had his orchestra in front of him. And um, he got their attention tapped on his stand with his baton, held his baton up, and it seemed like from that very moment when he got the orchestra's attention and for the rest of the song, this man, again as an authoritative interpreter of Beethoven, took his orchestra into the depths of Beethoven they'd never been before. This orchestra, even as the song progressed, realized it themselves. You know, they realized, boy, something special is happening here today. We're beginning to hear Beethoven and, and experience Beethoven as we've never thought possible or as we've never done before. And you know, that song progressed and it never ceased. It just seemed to get better and better until that very last note hung out there in, in the air and finally just kind of vanquished in silence. Right to that last point, uh, the people, the band members, were just in ecstasy, really, over what they had just accomplished that day in the rehearsal. And one by one, the orchestra members began to applaud Toscanini. And before you know it, they were all giving him a standing ovation. And he was trying to wave back this crowd and say, the, the band members, the orchestra members, and said, no, no, it's, it's not me. It's Beethoven that you're applauding. It's Beethoven that you're really hearing. Not anything to do with me at all. And you know, Toscanini did that day in that rehearsal what we try to do every year on Christmas Eve. And that is go back in time to a special event. For him it was Beethoven's creation of the Ninth Symphony that day. And then to bring that event forward, to capture that event and understand and get your hands and heart around that event and bring it forward to the present for everybody to see. And that's really what we try to do at Christmas Eve time. We go back 2,000 years. 
And then we try to get our hearts and our heads around that experience that we've heard so much about, but we try to see it through fresh eyes and really understand the significance of the birth of Jesus. And then we bring that event that happened so long ago through the pages of time to the present so that we can experience it, understand it, and even uh, learn what its implications are for our lives. And so our task is very similar to Toscanini's in that sense. We want to go back tonight through the pages of time. We want to go back uh, through one page that takes us to yesterday. We'll go back a few more pages where, you know, six months ago, a few more pages. Uh, some of you are up here scraping off paint. We'll, we'll, we'll move through those pages real fast, you know, kind of jump back further yet fast. And then we get back even through the Middle Ages and on through the fall of Rome and the Roman Empire. And you can go right back to Bethlehem in that manger where Joseph and Mary were strangers to that city, but having a baby that night. And there they were in that little manger uh, and Jesus was born. But you know you could go back even further. What if you went back just another week? Jesus is in his mother's womb. But try to go back, if you will, a few more weeks and a few more months. Maybe you're in the trimester, the second trimester. People in this church know those terms real well. I, I don't so well. I know you. there's a lot of, at least half of you do, I know that. Or you go back into that first trimester. You can even go back even further and to the point where Jesus is so small, you can't even see him with your naked eyes. And if you went back even a little further, you could go to the point where Jesus was actually one cell. You know, a, a conception there of one cell in Mary's womb. And that's just an amazing thought, isn't it? To go back to the God of the universe existing in one cell. But now then, as we're moving back in time, take one more step back. One more step back in time at the point of conception. And where do you find yourself? Where are you at that instant of time? Well, you're in another realm, first of all. You're actually in eternity past. You're in the presence of God the Father. You're in the presence of God the Son. You're in the presence of God the Holy Spirit. Myriads of angels are surrounding you, seraphims and cherubims. And boy, there's a, a buzz around town. I mean, something has happened and there's a commotion. Things are really uh, focused on the Father and the Son and they're having a conversation with one another. And the Father is speaking things to the Son, and the Son is talking to the Father, and it's an amazing thing to witness. And you might even wonder, you know, boy, if I could just be a fly in the wall type of thing. But you might even wonder, what are they saying? What would, what would the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the angels be witnessing that instant before Jesus' conception? You know what? We actually know. Because the Bible says what it was that was spoken between the Father and the Son the instant before Jesus was conceived. And that's an amazing thing. And that verse is in this passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, 5 through 7. Jesus is with the Father from eternity past in heaven. And therefore when Christ came into the world, he said, 
And this is the conversation he's having with his father. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now, my father created the sacrificial system and the offerings and all, but he never intended them to be a, an end of themselves. They were really a, a symbolic means to the end of worshiping God, means to the end of seeing our need, means to the end of repenting and having a relationship with God. That's what he wanted. But the Jews then kind of got caught up in ritual. And they thought God was a God of ritual and that he really did desire sacrifice and offering. But Jesus, in talking with the Father, just an instant before his conception, said, sacrifice and offering you do not desire. What you desire is a body that you prepared for me. Jesus knew that God had prepared a body for him. And he knew that that's what God desires, is for the Son... In the Godhead, the Son, to assume that body and then to come to this earth and to take that body to the cross, to die on the cross for the sins of humankind. And it goes on, you desire this body that you prepare for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. And then I, Jesus, said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. The prophets of old in the Old Testament, they've written about this day, this time, this moment, this about to take place. I have come to do your will, O God. And in that instant, we step into the realm of earth. Jesus is a one-celled being, and he's become one with the body that God the Father prepared for him. Jesus, God, and Jesus, man, in one. You know, some people, most people don't have a problem thinking of Jesus as man. There's a lot that believe he's God. But, boy, I'll tell you, to believe he's both, God and man, is the Christian message. And he had to be both. He had to be man because he had to have a body so that body could be sacrificed on the cross for the sins of the world. But he also had to be perfect. He had to be the Son of God, perfect, so that his death had the efficacy to save us, had the power to save us, coming from a sinless being. And so we have in our Christian truth, our Christian teaching, we're taught and know that Jesus is both God, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. And at that instant, he became a human being, and he began to grow, and he began to develop. In Luke chapter 1, 35 through 45, we kind of see from the earth's perspective what we just looked at from heaven's perspective. And in chapter 1, uh, we begin in verse 29. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at a greeting this stranger gave her one day when he said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting it might be. But the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary even wondered, marveled really by saying, how will this be? Asked, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. 
And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Jesus began to grow and he began to develop. But when he was born that day in Bethlehem, there was a whole lot of history that preceded him. But at that moment of his birth, this next verse was fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm sure that when Jesus was in heaven with the Father, the instant before he was conceived on earth, when he said that it is written of me in the scroll, this is one of the verses he had in mind. This verse was one of the verses in the scroll that spoke of the birth of Jesus and predicted his coming into this world. And that verse was fulfilled when Jesus came to this world. And when Jesus came to this world, he came not only as a God-man to save us. In this next verse in Philippians, he really also came as a teacher as well. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Jesus Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus had this character about him in paradise, in heaven, that was willing to leave heaven in order to become a human being on earth. And that was an incredible act of selflessness. It was an, a, a truly a, a sacrificial act on his part. And he's now presenting that act as an example for us, teaching us to follow that example in our own lives. In Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. And as Jesus grew, he got to know people, especially the disciples. In this next verse in John, you know, that which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands handled concerning the word of life. And this life was manifested, and we have seen and proclaimed to you this life. You can read that verse. I have a little harder time seeing it from here. But in this verse, John is saying, we've seen and touched and heard and felt the eternal life which was with the Father and has now come here and manifested itself to us. Again, a verse that speaks of the deity of Christ. And he came for sinners, as this next verse shows. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous the sinners. You know, I don't know if you ever feel regretful over your past or feel like you've blown it or feel like you don't, aren't worthy of God or aren't as good a Christian as everybody else in the room. I don't know if you feel like that at all or tempted to. If you do, then you're one of the folks Jesus came for. You're one of the sinners. You qualify as a sinner. And you're, again, the one that Jesus came for to save. In this next verse, in 2 Corinthians, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so Jesus again came, took on that body that God wanted Him and prepared for Him to take on and took that body to the cross to die for our sins. And then this verse, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich in paradise past, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor, starting out as a single cell, conceived in the womb of Mary, so that you, through his poverty, you might become rich. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible that speaks of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And you know, Paul understands these truths really well. Here in Philippians chapter 1, 21-24, Paul understood the truth of what I just shared with you. But you know, one thing about our Christian faith is, yeah, we want to go back to the past to bring it forward to the present to understand it and see it. But why do we want to do that? Well, it's because of the future. We want to understand this truth of Jesus coming to earth as a God-man so that that truth, you know, the implications of that truth can be lived out in our lives. There's implications to these things if they're true. And Paul understood those implications. Let's go back to that Philippians again. For to me to live is Christ. The implication of what we're saying is that for us to live then would be Christ. If these things are true. And to die is actually gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you to, for me to remain on in my body. Paul was kind of a reverse incarnation. You know, Jesus left heaven to come to earth. Paul was on earth and decided he'd stay here uh, just for the sake of others. He'd leave his body on earth to serve others. He understood the implications of what Jesus did. And he was following in Jesus' footsteps by living a sacrificial servant, uh, selfless lifestyle as Jesus lived. He was following the example of Christ. And so we look to the past. But tonight we also, we also have to look to the future. That's really what Mary did. As we read earlier, the angel said to Mary, You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you will give his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of the father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. That's very futuristic. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine recently. He said, you know, I look at my past and, and uh, they said that sometimes uh, they see so much regret and pain and, and uh, lost opportunities and a lot of tomfoolery back there. And they kind of look back and it, it discourages them. And they kind of forget that Christianity is, is really about the future. You know, we're told in Thessalonians that one day we will share the glory of Jesus Christ. We're told that when Jesus returns, we will be just like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. Those are truths about the future in our lives, our identity, who we are, is really rooted more in the future now than, than in the past. And in that we can find great encouragement as Christians. And so, as we look to the future, we know that one day we will be like Him. One day we will share in His glory. And one day, hopefully, when Jesus does return to this earth, we will be found at our station eagerly waiting for His return. Like Simeon and like Anna. Two of the few people in the Bible that are recorded as being anticipating the return of Christ that first time. And then in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8, you know what, what we really want to live our lives by is 
is the same principles and values Jesus lived his by. That's the implication of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. We dust that truth off, we bring it forward to the present, and it leaves us today looking to the future, wanting to be selfless, sacrificial servants of other people. That's really the implication of Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago. What do you say we pray and um, just ask that God uh, drives these truths into our hearts? You know, sometimes I can agree with the truth, but I struggle with the implications. And that's called being double-minded. And I find myself that way sometimes. You know, and it's like the Bible says, it's like a ship being torn and tossed by every wind and wave of doctrine. Uh, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And yet, on one hand, I have the truth, I believe it. But the implications, maybe I, I'm just not willing to, to apply those to my life. And I think what God wants is to grip our heart more and more. Help us really inundate ourselves with these truths. And be exposed and become ones who more and more just so believe in the truths that we speak of tonight that the implications become a joy, not a sacrifice. So let's pray and ask God that He'll transform our hearts and uh, allow us to live out the implications of the truths we believe. Lord, thank you for this night together. Lord, we do turn to you and I sure pray that, Lord, you'd help me be one who um, not only knows the truths of your being our God, coming to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, being buried, died, buried, and raised again from the dead. But Lord, I just pray that the implications of those truths would so grip my life that it would be one and the same of my knowledge of the truth. My life would match my belief. Lord, I pray that for all of us. Help us this Christmas season, uh, Lord, to be inspired by what you've done for us and uh, not take it for granted. Lord, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what do you say we stand? We'll sing Joy to the World one more time. And um, we will then have you on your way here to celebrate Christmas at home. Are you ready? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let Far as the curse is found, far as.
grace and make the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. Praise the Lord, you guys, and have a great Merry Christmas with your families. Um, and again, we just hope that uh, God will take these truths and really rub them into our hearts. Have a great night.